Welcome to The Cap, where we are here to speak with college reps and other professionals in the field of college admissions to help answer all your questions and guide you through every step of the process. So if you're serious about college admissions, you've come to the right place. Are you ready? Let's talk about it. And now, here's your host, Dr. John Durante. Welcome to The Cap, the College Admissions Process Podcast. I am your host, John Durante, and I am here to introduce you to college admissions representatives and other professionals in the field of college admissions. Our purpose is to serve you, the students and parents, so that you may gain insight straight from the people who ultimately make the decisions. Regardless of whether you apply to a particular school being highlighted in a given episode, you should listen to all of them, as each guest will give you tremendous insight and advice on every aspect of the college admissions process, prompting you to come up with your own follow-up questions for when you visit campus or meet with a college admissions representative yourself. Don't forget to visit our website, www.collegeadmissionstalk.com, or the show notes of each episode to access the alphabetical list of all the colleges available with the related audio link to the right of each school. The alphabetical list provides you with on-demand access to all of the episodes so that you may listen whenever you wish. And if you want to receive links to episodes before they are released on the podcast, along with other related resources, please fill out the email opt-in form also available on our website and in the show notes of each episode. Lastly, please email me with any questions or comments at collegeadmissionstalk at gmail.com. So are you ready? Let's talk about it. Welcome to The Cap, the College Admissions Process Podcast. I am your host, John Durante, and it gives me great pleasure to introduce you today, Rosemary Martin, who's the Associate Director of Undergraduate Admissions at the University of Maryland. Rosemary, thank you so much for being here today. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to join you. Well, thank you so much, and we are equally excited to have you. So, Rosemary, let me ask you to tell us about yourself. How long have you been an admissions counselor, and how did you end up in such a position? <laughs> um, I think that's probably uh, the most common question us in admissions probably get, and we often say we <laughs> fell into it, and I'm one of those that fell into it and became a three to 30 um, in lifer real quickly. Um, so I've been in admissions <laughs> in this world um, for over 15 years. I actually started at my alma mater, Shenandoah University, which is in West Winchester, Virginia, um, where I also was a D3 athlete. Um, I played lacrosse there, so I had a lot of really good people in my life um, in terms of giving me direction post-graduation. Um, there just so happened to be a new position starting in the Office of Undergraduate Admissions, um, which would run the marketing and communications side of things for admissions. Um, so knowing me, my coach and um, an advisor uh, put the job on my desk, and it was something that really interests me, especially with being a communications major. So I uh, applied, and this is how I ended up in admissions. So I spent about four years at Shenandoah University, where I also got my master's degree at the time. And then I went off to work for Purdue University, where I was their first regional in the Northern Virginia, D.C., Maryland area, um, and was able to serve for them for about three years. From there, um, my journey brought me over to actually University of Maryland College Park, um, where I was able to actually start the regional program.
program here on campus um, and start with four different regionals across the nation, um, as well as our alumni network um, and recruitment programs so that we could best utilize our alumni. Um, so from there, I, I decided, you know, a few years later that it was time to explore something different. Um, so I actually in 2017 took on um, a role at a smaller um private high school in Washington, D.C., um, St. John's College High School, where I was the director of college counseling for five years. And most recently, my journey has brought me back to the Terps. Um, in November <laughs> of this year, post-writing all those wonderful letters, I decided that it was time to come home. And there was a great opportunity to come back into admissions. Um, it was a big realization, you know, um, who needs me the most? And I've always been somebody about equity, access. And it was a pivotal time to come back into the world of admissions. Um, so I took the opportunity and ran with it. And here I am in my new role as Associate Director of Undergraduate Admissions, where I have the opportunity and pleasure of overseeing our events and visit service department. So everything that has to do with our daily visits to our special programs, to being able to plan our events. And we're a team of about seven um, full-time professionals. And then we have 200 tour guides and we have about 30 students that work for us um, at the visit center. So it's quite the operation. Um, and it's very exciting time to be back and to be a Terp again. Um, so that's my journey and how I've landed here. Um, and what I like to say is on the other side of things, um, when I'm not doing my day job, I'm also the president-elect for PCACAC, so the Potomac and Chesapeake Association for College Admissions Counseling. Um, and I'm very excited to be in my new role as a first-generation Latina. I am our first Latina um, president um, in the presidential cycle, as well as the youngest. Um, so I'm very excited about both those things. Wow. Well, the University of Maryland is obviously very lucky to have you. And so are we. Thank you so much for that amazing introduction, Rosemary. I really appreciate it. So tell us, what is it about the University of Maryland that makes it so appealing for so many students to want to apply and ultimately attend? Sure. Um, I think that there are so many valuable things about Maryland. It's quite quite a unique and, and I would say gem of a institution. Um, you know, the, the fact that we're located about 25 minutes outside of Washington, D.C. and have metro access to the city, as well as about 40, 45 minutes um, to Baltimore. It, it really puts us in a unique situation because we have a traditional land grant research institution and that it has this beautiful access to number one, the nation's capital and number two, opportunity. And uh, we, we really are the hub of research and and, you know, a resource to all of these different government entities um, and, you know, establishments. And it really makes it a wonderful experience for our students in terms of what comes along with that. Um, and so I'm going to tease that a little bit because I know we're going to talk about student life and all of that. But there's so much that comes along with, you know, our location and being right next to both those cities, um, both internships, co-ops, um, you know, just uh, the life in the city. So students really have the opportunity to be in this closed off very big campus environment um, where you have that traditional feel or some students are very much inclined to want to be in the city. Um, I personally live in Washington, D.C., about 10 blocks from the White House, and it takes me about 25 minutes to commute here. Um, or I'll take the metro on some days and there's a bus right from our metro station right onto campus. And we actually are building a new metro line that will run through campus to afford students the opportunity to run up and down Maryland, um, all the way to almost Baltimore. Um, so that's 
new and it should be built by 2026, but that's also going to be exciting when it comes to access. The other pieces I already mentioned, access and equity. Um, I think that we, number one, we're a dreamer state. So for all my DACA and documented students, we are a great, great institution that has opportunities and even more coming down the ladder because I think we're all really big advocates within our office and at the university for all students to have an equitable chance at an education. Um, so in, in, in terms of access, we see a lot of transfer students, a lot of students that we're not a commuter campus by any means, but we do have a good portion of commuters. Um, we are located right in Prince George's County, Maryland. Um, so we have a, a goal of definitely serving the community that we're within. So we have a lot of students that decide to stay at home um, because they're right down the street and commute in. Um, so I love the access piece for students on so many different levels. Um, the other thing that really makes us unique is we are the largest state institution in this area um, in terms of being so close to, um, you know, D.C. as well as Baltimore. So you're not going to find a lot of larger institutions like this with the numbers that we have, which is 38,000 undergrad, 10,000 graduate students right here in College Park. So that's definitely also another piece um, for students that are looking for a balance between that city environment and having more of, you know, your urban, um, suburban environment. We also boast over 90 academic programs in within 12 different schools. So everything from engineering to computer science to journalism, which is a nationally ranked program, um, even our agriculture program. Um, not a lot of students realize this, but we are an ag state. And as the state land grant, we were founded with not only engineering, but also agriculture was one of the first things. And the state of Maryland is actually still an ag state. Um, so we do have a lot of students that are interested in everything from, you know, land management to maybe going off to be a veterinarian. Um, and so it's really great because we have a barn on campus um, where students can, you know, go see animals. Every Anybody can really stop by there at any point if you're driving through campus. And it's a really, really great thing. Um, and because we are so close and some people consider us more of a city campus, um, which is a whole nother conversation, but um, people are really surprised by that. They're really surprised that we still have opportunities for those interested in more so of those ag type programs. Um, so that's definitely something that's unique to us. Um, and lastly, I'll just say that our diversity on campus is something that is unparalleled um, with other institutions. Our students represent every state, every territory, and over 130 different countries on campus. 42% of our students are from underrepresented populations. Um, so the perspective that our students not only get in the classroom in terms of lectures, um, you know, when they're doing research, all of that, um, it's really truly global, but it's also the activities that are outside the classroom that really are unique. They're different. They give perspective. And so it's really just a special melting pot of students and everybody is really celebrated. Um, and I know I said that was the last one, but I actually have two more that I just thought of. Um, so. <laughs> Our living and learning communities, I know most campuses have these, so I, I just think that we have some unique ones um, because our students are very much involved. They're, they're really advocates, they're allies. Um, so not only do we have like our College Park Scholars and our Honors College who have their own learning and living communities, we also have something called Carillon, which is for students interested in service and doing good. Um, we have Civicus, which is for students that are interested in social justice. 
or our first year uh, research and innovation program called FIRE, um, where students that are inclined towards doing research or maybe have a slight interest in science. And the great thing is you could be a business student and be put in one of those programs. Um, so there's a wealth of opportunities in terms of living and learning communities. And then we also have just an inclusive living environment. And I'll give you a great example. We are a very um, friendly community when it comes to LGBTQIA students. Um, we have have, you know, inclusive dormitories, we have inclusive restrooms in all of our public buildings and our academic buildings. So we're very mindful of our students and who they represent, the communities they represent, and making sure we have student services for them. What's up, podcast friends? I'm happy to share that we've teamed up with Dormco to make your dorm decorating a lot easier. Why Dormco? They offer quality and durability, affordability, and a wide selection for bedding-to-storage solutions and everything in between for your dorm room. So if you or anyone you know is looking to decorate your dorm, see the affiliate partnership link in the show notes for Dormco, your one stop for stylish, affordable, and quality dorm essentials. Please note that if you make a purchase through any of our affiliate links, the podcast gets a commission, but rest assured that we would only promote products that we believe in and feel would benefit our listeners. Thank you all and best wishes. Well, that is an amazing overview. I am so happy that you talked about the inclusivity, the diversity. It really sounds like you have something for everyone, both inside and outside of your classrooms, internship opportunities, research opportunities, not to mention, by the way, that I was on campus not too long ago, and it is absolutely gorgeous. The landscaping, the beauty of the buildings, and of course, one of my favorite places to visit, which of course was the stadium. Students, if you haven't been there, and parents, you really got to get on campus. So speaking of the campus, what can you tell us, Rosemary, about life on campus? And I know that you spoke about this already a little bit, but what more can you tell us about life on campus outside of the classrooms? What are the students doing after class is over, on the weekends, during the week? Any other insight would be greatly appreciated. Thank you. Sure, sure. Well, we are a very lively campus, I will say that. So there's a real moment. But like any other larger campus, and, and honestly, smaller campuses have plenty of opportunities for student organizations and clubs. We have over 900 here. Everything, you know, from your Quidditch team to your lettuce club for students that like lettuce. Um, and so students obviously have the opportunity to start their own organizations um, or, you know, um, join any of those organizations. I think that the uniqueness of the organizations is definitely something that's special. We have a lot of affinity, multicultural opportunities, um, opportunities to really engage with that level of diverse um, student population and really celebrate them again. Um, so that's something that I think is really special. Of course, we're in the Big Ten. Um, for those of you that don't know, we came to the Big Ten about five years ago, I want to say maybe even six, um, along with Rutgers. Um, so we have um, joined that league. And so we have plenty of opportunities for students to attend sporting events to really get involved. Our students love the Maryland flag. So if you're not familiar, I would encourage you to go to YouTube and just Google a Maryland basketball game. And that's kind of our tradition. They will roll out this ginormous flag in the student section and just rock it out underneath their dancing and all of that. It's so much fun. Um, but that 
is really the environment we have. And it's not just the students that are inclined to sports. We have students that come here and have never been to a sporting event, but it takes X, Y, and Z student to let them know we're all going, we're all engineers, we're in that living and learning community, and bam, we have students um, from all over the university within our student section. So I do think that our sports opportunities in terms of attendance and just that camaraderie, it's a lot of fun. And um, I'm, I'm I'm bad at helping people visualize, but it, please work with me. Um, in the middle of <laughs> campus, the stadium you were just referring to is in the middle smack dab of our campus. And so that's our football stadium. And everything around that is our university. So it's right in the middle of campus, which makes it even more special, um, as well as our baseball field is right there. And if you didn't hear lacrosse we are national champions so that's definitely so it's not just a fall winter thing our sports environment definitely extends over the other piece is we have a big greek greek life um, environment here and we have affinity greek life we have professional um, programming greek life in terms of if you're a pharmacist um, or you're a nurse and you want to join that type of greek life Um, about 11 percent of our students um, do pledge so it's not overwhelming but it is an opportunity for students um, to be involved. And I actually have a few of my students that are here working for me in my department that um, were at St. John's. So they're juniors now in college, which makes me feel a little aged. But um, that being said, plenty of work opportunities, number one, and that's just a pitch for our office. But um, I would say they their experiences and hearing about them are great. Some of them are joining, um, are going to be in the board of the Latino Student Union. We have students that are going to be the head of their sororities, fraternities, um, or are going to be teaching assistants this upcoming year. Um, so there's definitely a lot of opportunities both in and outside the classroom. Um the other piece would just definitely be our cultural center. Um, I just want to highlight that we have something called the Multicultural Inclusivity um, Center, and that is where all of our affinity groups and different programs and organizations are housed um, so that they have full-time support um, and they have full-time staff members to help them develop their different programs and their different organizations. We have everything from, you know, undocuterps um, to, you know, um, an LGBTQ community um, program where students can get together and just really talk and have different programming for them. Um, And then lastly, we have a halal on campus. Um, So our students have the opportunity to eat kosher if, um, you know, and have a kosher meal plan. But what I think is really special is um, during some holidays, our students from the Hillel will come into the sororities and fraternities, the different communities, um, living and learning communities where there's kitchens and they'll cook for our own students and share celebration and really kind of integrate um you know, their experiences, their culture, their celebrations into different parts of campus. And that's really, really special. Well, that's another great overview of all the amazing things that you have on campus and beyond. Thank you so much, Rosemary. I truly appreciate it. I know that you said earlier that you manage campus visits. So I was curious, when students and their parents visit campus, what are the areas should they visit? And what are the types of questions that they should be asking to help them determine whether or not the University of Maryland is in fact the right fit for them? I think that there's multiple layers to this question because of course the social emotional fit I think is what 
you can obviously lead with because obviously it's going to be your student's home for the next four years. Regardless if they live on campus or they live off campus, they're going to be in some form, you know, embracing the community, the environment. So number one, you know, we've all seen the effects of mental health and our students really need to be in a great place and environment so that they can achieve what they need to to graduate and graduate on time. Um, so I think that that's number one, support systems. What type of support do you have? And, and you know, your student best so if it's you know they have an IEP they have a 504 you know maybe it's what type of services do you have for students with a learning difference what office is that and finding out what all they offer or maybe it's the mental health piece and you just want to know more about the services there um, you know, always ask about academics. That's the next piece is I think you, you definitely roll over to academics, making sure they have your program, number one, and you're not looking at a university just to look at the university. Because again, at the end of the day, you have a goal and you have to have that in mind, even when you're applying. And if it's undecided, that's fine. It's just making sure that, hey, do, if I'm undecided, do I have resources to help me decide? Or am I going to be at this huge university with nobody to kind of guide me? Um, because you really need to make sure that you you are going to have the support that you need, the resources you need as you prepare yourself to make a big decision, a life decision. Um, so I would definitely recommend asking about academics. Then, you know, the other piece is depending on when you're visiting, um, because if you're a freshman or sophomore, it's a little too early to ask certain questions. I will say that it will just give you anxiety. Of course, you want to know what the expectation is. You want to know, you know, what am I going to need to apply? But just remember that things change. Life changes, and we saw it a couple years ago. Everybody thought they were applying in with X, Y, and Z, and then boom, test optional went crazy, right? Um, so you had some options. So don't speed up the process is one thing. I would say if you are visiting as a freshman, sophomore, concentrate on getting to know the different campuses and the uniqueness about them. So that way when you come to make your list, you can say, Hey, Mr. Durante, like I really liked Maryland. It was a larger public state institution <laughs> near, you know, a, a, a city. And guess what? You're going to get five more of those schools, hopefully, um, depending on what you're looking for. But you're going to know what you like and what you don't like. If you are a junior or a senior, um, rising senior, rising junior, that's the time to really hone in on more of the data in terms of what are you really looking for? Um, what is your average SAT? What is your average ACT? How many students did or didn't apply with those? Are you test optional? Um, so more so peeling away the layers of the admissions process and what you need to do, not only with the materials that you need to submit, but how do you put your best foot forward for that institution? And what I would say to that effect is when you hear numbers, that's just one piece of the application. So it's important to know what are the other pieces because at some point your grades are your grades, okay? And you can only do your best on the tests, right? And you don't want to over-test because part of this is also having a senior year and enjoying the process. And that's actually going to be one of my um, tips. So I'm kind of, you know, peeling off <laughs> my own um, layers here. Um, but part of this is enjoying the process, time management, not overloading yourself because you want to put the best foot forward for every single one of your applications. Um, so I say that again, because the data can really scare a student away and make them feel a certain way about an institution. Asking the additional questions. Well, if that's your average, okay, well, what else do you look at? And how is the recommendation considered? And, you know, is there anything else I can submit because my test scores weren't quite there? Is there a supplemental? Um, 
do you take demonstrated interest? Are you tracking, you know, my, my visit today? Or can I have a conversation with you? And you write down the interview notes. There's so many other factors. And I think we get really hung up on the numbers and the data and we think, and, and that's quantitative, right? Um, and we really need that quality piece, um, which puts together all the different moving pieces. So I like to refer to it as a jigsaw puzzle. And if there's one little missing piece, you're never going to have a full jigsaw puzzle. So don't light, leave any piece out of your application and work with those counselors, whoever your person is, to support you to make sure you're not missing out on sharing something that might be valuable or special. And you may not think it is, but guess what? There's not a lot of kids in DC. So I always told my kids in DC, like, how special is it that you grew up in the nation's capital? Like, let's peel this back. Let's talk about like what made it special. Was it your experience? Or maybe you protested. Maybe you were a part of, you know, making a huge change in the city. Um, and I think that goes across the board, you know, for every student. Really talk to your people, your village, and figure out maybe there's things you're not highlighting. Well, it's clear, very clear, that you manage campus tours because the questions, the insight that you shared in terms of giving students and their parents advice on what to ask when on tour was phenomenal. Great answer. Thank you so much, Rosemary. We really appreciate it. So let's dig deeper into the overall application process. How many applications do you, in fact, review a year? And do you, Rosemary, represent a specific region? So good. Good to know. Um, and, and I love that you're asking this question. And going back to your last question about what parents should ask, this is a great question to ask, is how many applications do you, you review? Are, are you reviewing by territory? Are you reviewing by, you know, maybe school? Um, because then that will really give you insight into more of, more of the background of how the admissions decisions are made. Here at Maryland, we don't review by territory. We don't review by major. We just have a general pool and you're assigned a certain amount of applications um, each week and that's your review. So I could be reviewing for somebody in Hawaii even though I've never even stepped foot on Hawaii. That being said, your lovely counselors, your school, all have a school profile. Um, so don't be scared that, you know, somebody random could be reading in Hawaii because we'll get to know your school through the school profile. We'll even go to the extent of going to the website if we need to dig a little bit deeper. And what that does is give us a capture of who your school is, how many students attend, for example, how many students, how many AP classes are offered. And that gives us an idea of how much you've pushed yourself. Um, or maybe AP is not offered. Maybe it's an IB or a dual enrollment, but it gives us insight before we even touch anything in your application of who you are in context of your school. So we do read in context of your school, even though, you know, applications are read at random. Me personally, I'm just getting back um, as of November. So I was graced um, with not having to read um, this this winter, which was great, but I am putting my foot back in um, to the reading. Um, we can read anywhere from 50, just depending on your load, to 200 um, in a week per person. Um, we do see, um, the, and I will be honest and transparent about this, um, every school that ever goes on the Common App, I think sees a little bit of an increase. And then the other anomaly was definitely test optional, increased uh, applications across the board nationally. Um, so we did get over 55 5,000 applications this year alone. That's amazing. What a big number, 55,000 applications. So what are the different ways a student can apply to the University of Maryland? And is there a benefit, Rosemary, to applying one way over the other? Sure. 
So um, many of you that are listening may know this, um, some families may not, um, but we were formerly part of the coalition um, for, for access, um, which we still are part of the coalition. Um, however, we are no longer using the coalition application. They've switched over to standout college apps. Um, so students are still afforded the opportunity to apply through there. I think what we found is most students are now using the common application um, and we are on the common application, which I know is very relieving for some counselors and families to just be able to process through the common app. There is no difference in terms of the review. They'll all, as long as you submit by our deadline, you're going to be reviewed just like everybody else. There is no benefit to one or the other. And again, we are test optional. So right there on the application, as you start applying, you'll, you'll go ahead and check if you're applying as a test optional student. Good to know about Maryland, um, and I know we're going to talk about um, deadlines and all of that in a second, but we are a very big early action school. 90% of our, our class usually is admitted through early action, and I say that because it's really important for Maryland, at least, to apply by early action to give yourself the best benefit. Um, so that's just a little bit of a tip right there. Well, that's fantastic. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it. And I read, by the way, that 95% of the freshman class returned, which is an astonishing number, a testament to the great work you do in admissions, and of course, all of the wonderful things that you described in your classrooms on campus, off campus, that keep the students happy there for four years, and in some cases, even beyond that. So having said that, could you share with us what is the average profile of the freshman class? Sure. So it's unique. Again, unique, Maryland. We're, we're just swinging them out there. But we not only have a fall admission program, um, so you may get a fall admissions decision. So students, parents, make sure you read the entire letter from Maryland um, because some students may be afforded a spring option. And if you don't read that letter, typically what happens is students see spring and they start crying or they throw the letter away. They have other options. But it's good to know, and I'm glad we're having these conversations, and I'll give you our averages in a second, but let me explain this layer. If students are afforded a fall admission, they are a full admission, fall admission student. Students afforded a spring admission have the option to come in spring, but they also have the option to come in fall through our freshman connection program. Um, and what happens is their courses start that fall semester at 3 p.m. on. Since we are a state institution, we have limited space, limited amount of teachers, um, professors to really, you know, be able to get our students in for those first level classes. So spring students just do their classes in the afternoon. They can live with a fall student. Um, there is really no difference. They cannot participate in D1 sports, but usually we do not see athletes go through freshman connection. Um, however, they starting in spring, it completely opens up for them. We also have Destination Rome in London, which is um, like many other institutions, if you're given spring, you also will get an option. And this is coming back this next year, this year, um, upcoming year, um, to go to Rome or London for that fall semester and then come back. What we found is Freshman Connection is really popular. Um, so students, once they come and they hear more about it and they realize, oh, wait, this is this is kind of awesome. Like, I don't have to get up early for that 8 a.m. Or, you know, this is there's no difference, really. Um, they are immediately impacted and really want to be a part of that. It also gives us a chance to really think about the profile and how we're bringing in our students and making sure that we capture all those great students that really deserve an admissions offer. So I think that's the great part. We've had huge success. Like you said, our retention rates are really, really astounding right now. And I, I hope we can continue that trend. Um, so to answer your question, um, and I think it's important for students to remember, this is an average. 
average. This is not set in stone. We actually read, review um, 26 factors, 25 if you're test optional. Um, so please remember, these are just data-driven numbers so that you can decide do it, what additional things, how hard do I need to work for Maryland? Um, is this actually a REACH school or is this you know, one of those FIT type schools? So we had over 55,000 applications. Our average GPA, again, average was a 4.4 um, for our incoming fall admitted students. We were between a 1390 and a 1530 and middle 50% for SAT. Middle 50% for ACT was a 32 to a 35. 36% um, of our fall freshman class did come in test optional. Good to know our spring numbers. Um, the average was a 4.2. Average SAT was a 1320 to 1450. Average ACT for spring was a 30 to a 33. 54% of our admitted students from spring were test optional. Um, so it's good to know that we had a little encompassing all numbers, we had a, a little bit over 50% of our class that came in test optional that were admitted. Well, we appreciate you sharing that data. Thank you so much. And I was curious, of course, if a student falls a little lower than that average, what are some of the things that they can do to enhance their overall application? And Rosemary, if I may also ask, does demonstrated interest, for example, play a role in your overall application process? Sure. I think that, you know, I mentioned it before, we have 26 factors that we look at when we're looking at your application, and we use that as really our kind of um, baseline. It, it calibrates us, it helps us review and get rid of some of, you know, your personal bias when, when, when you're reviewing things and you're getting a little tired and all that. It's a great place to look back and remember what we need to be looking for in the review process. It can be everything from your, your geographic location, um, to your activities, um, to your community service. Um, but what I would really say is we do a great job at Maryland of reading. Um, we love to read those essays. The one-line supplementals that we have finish the sentence we absolutely love those as an office. There's so many that I could tell you about that are hilarious and have stuck with me even from before when I worked at Maryland. The other piece is your recommendations. I think that this is an opportunity when it comes to us. And I tell students, make it make sense, right? It, it, we only ask for one recommendation. If you're applying for an engineering um, you know, major, maybe you know that science or that math teacher, you know, if they can really speak to your abilities in the classroom, would be nice. Um, the other piece though, and this is just you know, my college counseling coming in to give you guys a tip is, I call it the admissions band-aid. There are some students that have all A's, their records are great, but then it comes to the SAT and they kind of just bomb the English section or it's not reflective of their abilities. So why not if, you know, have that English teacher maybe write you a recommendation to really talk about your ability in the classroom. Um, and I would say the same thing for the student that struggled for, with the class that really came on the up and up and maybe went from a, a D because you know, they were struggling with something at home or outside the classroom. And by the end of the year, they have an A or a B. Um, you know, that really speaks to the student's commitment, their ability to really adapt and to advocate for themselves, because most likely, you know, they've definitely been in, you know, talking to somebody uh, about their performance and really been putting in the work. So I think that in terms of recommendations, there's strategy within it. Um, it's not just about, about asking your favorite teacher. It's got to make sense, 
for, for that jigsaw puzzle we were talking about. Um, and then that counselor recommendation. We love counselor recommendations. You guys fill in all the dots. You guys help us connect the dots, A, B, C, D. Um, and I think that, you know, counselors have the ability to speak about the student outside the classroom and really hone in on not only the unique factors about the student, but if there's something the student doesn't want to disclose maybe and, and has given you permission to disclose because they don't know where in their application it makes sense, then I think that's perfectly fine to put in to that counselor recommendation or pick up a phone, ask for a phone call and really advocate for the students. So I feel like the counselor recommendation is the first form of advocacy. And I know that as somebody that wrote a lot of recommendations in my time, Sometimes it feels like, is this going to really get read? And I can tell you right now, Maryland um, is one of those places that will read that recommendation. And it may even come up during our committee review um, if a student's right on that cusp. Um, you know, so it, it's really important for the student to invest in making sure they get the right recommendations, but also giving those individuals the, the proper information they need to. So parents, students, I always recommend to my students, if there wasn't a questionnaire for your counselor, email them your resume. Do something to advocate for yourself because your counselor is busy um, and they have a lot of students and they have a personal life. Um, so we have to honor that too. And I think that grace goes a long way. And I would never shame a kid if they, even if they filled out my questionnaire and would still send me their resume because I usually found things that they didn't mention in their questionnaire. Well, those are great pieces of advice. Certainly very helpful to students and their parents. Thank you so much, Rosemary. And what about AP, IB, or dual enrollment classes? Does the University of Maryland accept them for credit? Sure. And before I move on to that, I just realized I never answered your question about demonstrated interest. So let me back up and just say that Maryland does not track demonstrated interest. Um, however, <laughs> there are plenty of institutions that do. And I do think that it is important to make an impression. You know, it goes really far in committee or when you're, you know, reviewing a file, if you remember a kid or they made an impact during a visit, pay attention during those visits. Uh, counselors work really hard, especially when they're on the road and they will remember the student that really shines during a visit or ask the great questions, followed up with a thank you email. Um, now, that being said, there is a balance to it. Don't email too much where you're gonna, you know, be in the red with the person in terms of just keeping them busy. It's important to be thoughtful of the questions you're asking and your needs because there's probably somebody right within your high school or somebody you can ask like your parents or maybe a brother or sister that can help you more immediately and you're gonna get, you know, that information. Now, if it's institution specific, it's really information you need, great. Also, remember, a lot of these things are on our website. So if I get an email that's like, hey, what's your housing? I'm literally going to probably send you a link and I'm going to be like, well, why didn't you just look this up? You know, I know that students are on their phone a lot. So put down the TikTok for five minutes. If you have a question, make sure you Google it first and then ask um, and, and make sure you're making those impressionable connections with um, with your representatives and with your counselors. Um so I'll jump over to your other question about AP, IBs, and dual enrollment. We do accept all of them. What's great is a lot of institutions, and I'll say a lot of state institutions, have um, what we call um, transfer credit or credit um, databases. And students can even Google, you know, University of Maryland's credit database. And right there, you'll find um, a database that you can put the class that you took into and see what type of credit you can get for that course. So for a great example is... 
AP courses. You can pop in there, type in the AP course you took and see if Maryland will take a three, four, or five. Sometimes it's major dependent. So if you're, you've taken AP physics, you know, um, and you're applying to be an engineer, they may want to see a four or five. But if you're applying to be a history major, you might get away with a three and being able to take that credit. So it is major specific. It is university specific. We across the board take all of them. Well, we appreciate that. And another piece, of course, of the application is the transcript, which, of course, provides the GPA. Rosemary, do you use the student's high school GPA as indicated on their transcript, or do you recalculate? And if so, any insight that you could share with us would be greatly appreciated. Sure. Um, so much like other institutions, we recalculate the GPA. Um, it is so important for us to have equity within our process, and that allows us to, um, for for reasons because nationally there are different grading scales. Um, so you might be in Florida or you know New York and you might be on a 100 point grading scale. For us to be able to review within our context, we really need to bring it back to that 4.0 scale, 5.0 scale and really give weight to the classes that need weight. There are some counties in the nation and this is not a reflection of them, it's just the way it is, that inflate some grades. So instead of getting a extra one point for an AP, you might get a 1.5. And we want to make sure that this is fair for everybody across the board, regardless of where you're living, your location, your geographic location. And we don't want anybody that's not getting the inflation to be disadvantaged. So for us, it's really important, again, to calibrate ourselves to all be on the same page when we review. That being said, again, that school profile your school generates um, and your counselor usually updates, that gives us a wealth of information. So a lot of students get nervous. They're like, well, well how are you recalculating? And I will say it's specific to where you're coming from. So it's hard for me to specifically say that piece, but we're looking at your school profile. We're really determining well, what were the honors classes? Where are you getting that extra weight from? How are we going to recalculate this? And how are we going to give weight to those classes? So if you have a random class, that might be an honors class, like honors minority voices, which was a literature class um, where I used to be. Um, we, would, we would obviously look at your school profile, realize that's honors class gets an extra point added to the weight within that school profile. So that means that we need to give that honors class extra weight within, when we recalculate in our system. Well, that's great insight, and I appreciate that you brought in the school profile. As you said, 55,000 applications. Obviously, you're getting applications from every corner of the United States and beyond. So knowing what the high school offers, what they don't offer, again, bringing in that school profile is so important in the overall process. And again, we appreciate that insight. Thank you so much, Rosemary. And I also know that the University of Maryland is, in fact, test optional. Can you share with us the percentage of students that were admitted to the University of Maryland that did not, in fact, submit test scores? Sure. And so I gave a little bit of insight um, in terms of the breakdown between fall and spring. Um, fall was a little lighter, but I will say that uh, over 50% of our class, our incoming class, was admitted through um, test optional or did not submit test scores. Um, so you can see right there um, that a, a high percentage did not um, submit test scores upon application. We had a lower number of admits, but like they're right in line with each other, almost 40% um, for fall admission that did not submit test scores, and then 54% um, that were admitted for spring that did not submit test scores. So we're very proud of that. Well, we appreciate that data. Thank you so much. And how important are students' grades in senior year? And can you give an example of why you would request the students' mid-year grades in senior year? 
Sure. So I think that this is a, a great question because it is done so differently and used so differently in terms of your senior year grades for each institution. Here at Maryland, um, typically we don't defer. And what I mean by that is when we get your initial pieces of your application, your grades through junior year, your senior classes, what you're taking, all of that, we start our review right after November 1st. Typically, we don't defer to see the mid-year grades unless it's a very unique circumstance. It's a student that has a unique story or maybe competitive or had something happen junior year, and we just want to see how senior year is going. So it's very rare at Maryland because we try to make all of our decisions um, through early action and release those by the end of January. Um, so that allows us to that timeline um, without the mid-years, you know, getting 55,000 applications, processing them and all of that, and then processing mid-years, it's, it's not within the time frame of what we can do typically. Um, and typically we see that the applicant pool is strong enough um, with what we get by November 1st that it would be hard to do a deferral. Again, there are unique circumstances, so I'm not going to say that we don't do it, but it's definitely um, a one-off and it's going to be unique. Um, so again, the idea of putting your best foot forward, you never know what happens. We could come back, you know, um, so even if you had a drop-off along the way, make sure that you're communicating with us and you're getting the best advice from not only us, but your counselors on how to apply and if you should apply. Um, the other way that senior year grades are used is definitely we every institution is going to need your final transcript. So at the end of the day, seniors, we're going to see your final grades. And I'm not saying this to scare you um, because, you know, I've worked in admissions for 15 years and it's happened, but I haven't seen it often because usually students are good once we tell them, you know, we will see your senior grades. But don't forget, when you apply into an institution, especially if it's a selective program or it's a program that's really looking for some pre-qualifiers, don't forget that you apply with something and we know that you're that student and so we're expecting you to graduate with the same. That doesn't mean that, you know, I had all A's last year, I need all A's to stay, you know, to keep my offer to Maryland. No, that means that, hey, you had all A's last year, you should not have an F this year. Um, so what I would say is students, I know senior year is going to be the best year of your life, number one. Let's remember that. Um, but you're going to make that first year of college so much better if you don't have to stress out about your final grades, about graduation, about maybe taking a summer school course to stay within compliance. So senioritis is real. When you do get senioritis, my best advice is remember your village. Who is your person? Who can ground you and remind you at, that there's a carrot at the end of this? Okay. And that is your college. Um, your entrance, your experience, all of that that you've been really, really working for. So you will slip, probably. Everybody does. We're human. And we kind of, you know, have a time where we burn out or we're just like, oh, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to wake up. If that happens, talk to your person, even if it's talking to an admissions person. But we will remind you that this is an important year for many reasons. I want to emphasize this is important because this is your experience, this is your future, and I want you to have a great time. And there are factors that you don't realize that you're kind of um, putting into play that could affect your experience. That's great advice, and we truly appreciate it. And of course, another piece of the overall application is the college essay. Rosemary, what are some examples of college essays that really stuck with you? In other words, when you read them, you thought, this student has to come to the University of Maryland. Um, so, you know, I, I've read so many great essays. It's hard for me to pin down one, but I will say there's some ones that have stuck with me and they range from everything from, you know, um, 
a student that was applying into animal sciences that started off with, you know, I have a dragon lizard. I had two. I forgot to feed them. And that's how I want to be a vet. Um, and it's just <laughs> like that hook. It's just like, wait, what? <laughs> and then, I mean, it obviously got better. He, he started, you know, getting better at his like, you know, hosting his animals or keeping his animals. Um, the other ones are, are, are very visual. I love students that take a story and really make you feel a part of the story. You know, it could be anything as vivid as the smells that they smell <laughs> or describing, you know, the, the, the sounds they hear and going into their story. So very visionary, very much um, not just putting stuff on paper that happened to you, but telling us the story, how it affected you and really making us see those different characteristics of who you are and how the story translates to your next step. Um, I also really want to honor the students that share personal stories. I think that there's a lot of conversation right now about are we emphasizing on students, you know, clutching on, you know, some of these stories that may be mental health or struggles. And I think that there's beauty in being able to tell your story and how it's changed your life and how it's changed you. I'm going to share something very personal about myself. I lost both my parents in my 20s. Um, wow. And I don't find that. I find that my experience has allowed me to help students be okay with telling their story because I feel like I'm a stronger person and a stronger counselor, and I'm able to help make connections with students who may be in the same situation. So for me, I think that we should empower students if they're comfortable enough to share their why and to share their story and their journey, because there's nothing shameful about going through a hard time in life or to experience a challenge that somebody else may not have. And we need to see students. We need to see students. We don't just need to expect them to apply. We need to hear them. We need to see them. And we need to allow them to express themselves and whatever that looks like. So I will say there's been stories, you know, where it's been, um, I had a student who wrote um, about how his, his younger brother with paralysis um, you know, would come into his room every day. And it was very visionary. It was like, hey, Matthew, Xbox, Xbox. And he went on to say like how he valued every Saturday and Sunday because it was his time with his younger brother. And he went on to tell his story about how he felt so connected to his younger brother that that's why it drove him to want to do what he wanted to do in college, which was just really work in the sciences and develop different, you know, ways for students with paralysis to express themselves. Um, but he went on to say, like, you know, within that, the part of the story that was really the meat and bones was his character, like him stepping up while his parents were U.S. Marshals, so they're traveling, stepping up and being the older brother to all of them and his experience and how it made him really humble. Um, and I think there's so much beauty in that. And he's here and he's a senior, he's about to be a senior. Um, and I'm so happy for him. And he's close to home because he's a Marylander. Um, but those are the true success stories. Then I've had students just, they're artistic, they're unique, they're talented. So take th things like music, for example, and talk about their life, but relate it back to a song. Um, I've had students with mental health struggles who have done the same thing and used, you know, songs that talk about mental health and relate them back to themselves. But it's always the idea of what has this experience done to you? How has it affected you? And where are we going now? And who are you now? Um, and, and those are the ones I think that carry a lot of weight. Well, we really appreciate it. Thank you so much for sharing all of those different examples. You gave great advice to students to share their stories, mm -hmm. express themselves, reflect on how did it affect you and where are you going now? So I hope that the students and parents are listening because you're really giving words of wisdom here today. Can't thank you enough. So 
Do you offer any supports for students that may have had an IEP or 504 in high school? And if so, Rosemary, can you explain what you offer? Sure. So yeah, of course. Um, and I'll say across the board, most most institutions have some form of support. It's just different levels of support. Um, fortunately, we are a larger institution, so we have a wealth of an office um, for our students with disability and student support. Um, and they offer everything from accommodations for testing to, um, you know, if you need a scribe, a reader, those types of things, you would go see their office. So my recommendation is always to families. Once you've been admitted to your wealth of institutions in the spring, start to do your research at that point about the resources. A lot of institutions don't introduce that conversation until you've been admitted or you can't contact somebody until you've been admitted. But that's when you can really dig deep in terms of what your students' needs are. And every student's a little different. Some may not need, you know, that much support, but need a center to check in or, you know, um, share their, you know, information with their professors, um, you know, that type of thing. So it's important to know what services are there. The other pieces, students may think they're really prepared coming in and they've learned a lot of tools in high school to manage the different um, learning differences or challenges they may have had. But then they get to a larger environment or away from home and they don't have their sounding board, um, you know, to tell them things that, you know, they didn't know really. Um, so it's important for students to also think about the future, right? If I get there, what if I am overwhelmed? Like maybe they don't have, you know, um, the the opportunity for a testing center. And that's something I've always had and I've always relied on. Am I going to be successful? So always put success on your forefront. Like what tools does this institution have? What resources do they have that not only may I need now, but maybe in the future? And be honest with yourself, students. You may think you know right now, but until you've moved into an independent environment, you really don't know a lot about in independence until you've been put in a situation where you can't just call mom or dad or your brother, or your sister, or your person, or your guardian, or maybe it's your counselor. You can't just call them and ask them questions. You have to be able to be the forefront, be the first line of defense to advocate for yourself. Students, I hate to break this to you, and parents, I hate to break this to you, but we do have something called FERPA at the university level. So in terms of if you're your student's best advocate, you're going to have to let that go at some point once they enroll at an institution because we are no longer legally binded to give you any information regardless of mental health, regardless if it's their learning difference, all of that. It's important for families to prepare their students to be independent if they have those types of needs. The other piece is just in terms of disability services, we have housing, we have um, ramps. We have all kinds of resources for students that may be disabled on campus. Um, so it's, again, important to ask those questions. If a student is also transitioning, we have support for that, um, as well as housing for students that are transitioning. So again, once you're admitted, because you don't want to overwhelm yourself, of course, at the time you apply, your counselor, your person, your parent probably will do the research of, do they have an office for this, right? But dig deeper once you've been admitted, so that way you don't overwhelm yourself. Or maybe you think like, oh, I'm going to Maryland to ask about this, but then you go to Rutgers for your next visit, and then you think, oh, the Rutgers information is actually the Maryland information. So there's going to be a lot of moving pieces. I always used to describe it as Harry Potter, you know, with the candles where they're floating every 
everywhere and you're trying to grab. Yeah, it's going to feel like that a little bit. So organize your timeline and when to ask certain questions so you don't get ahead of yourself and you don't overwhelm yourself. Um, it's great to be informed, but there is a there's definitely a art to taming the madness of the process. Well, that's great advice. And you keep emphasizing that you truly do have something for everyone. And we appreciate that. And so, Rosemary, what about students aspiring to play sports in college? What advice do you have for prospective student athletes in terms of making their intentions to play known? Awesome. Well, so, of course, I'll be specific to Maryland first. Um, We are a D1 institution. So what you're going to find at the D1 level, it depends on the sport. Um, You know, basketball, football generally are some of the most recruited sports. So it starts a little bit earlier on. That being said, your coach is usually your best resource when it comes to contacts at the D1 level. Secondary is, you know, your club coach, all of that. They may have contacts to talk to the recruiters or share your film. Um, If you have not been recording film or capturing, you know, um, what the school may be recording for you, that's one form of self-advocacy when it comes to athletics is making sure that you have some some way to t- not only tell coach, hey, I'm, I'm really good. I play this sport, um, but show them because a lot of them want to see your showcases. They want to see the highlight reels, all that. Um, the, the other piece is understanding that coaches may have a recruitment plan a couple years out. Also, coaching staff has changed. So even if you've talked to a coach and it's the coaching staff has changed, that's not a firm offer. So nothing's firm until it's in writing, until you have an LLI, which is a national letter of intent. So even if you get an offer and you verbally commit, make sure that you are talking to your counselor, you're making a plan, and you're really following up with those coaches. As far as being seen, most universities, most institutions do have a sports page, an athletics page. Through that athletics page, you can usually go to the sport of choice. And within there, you'll have a roster. Look for the recruiting, um, the assistant director of recruitment, or if there's somebody that has a title of recruitment. I don't always necessarily say email the head coach because most likely you're not going to hear from them. Um, I think Harbaugh, you know, Locke, all of them are a little bit busy, but (laughs) they most likely have a staff (laughs) member that's in charge of the recruitment process. So that's probably your best bet. Some institutions even have a form for students that are interested. Um, What I would say is if you know early on, work on those pieces because it's a lot easier to contact a coach if you know you're diehard baseball. It's a lot easier to contact a coach when you're a sophomore and start to do that legwork um, so that maybe by junior year, you know, if they do have somebody in the area recruiting a scout, anything like that, they may be able to come by. So that's my advice for the D1 level. Um, the, the second piece of advice is don't forget about D2. Don't forget about D3. If the sport is your passion and it's something that you love those competitive levels are just as fun. And quite frankly, as somebody who played D3 lacrosse, I'm so glad that I was never even looked at for a D1 level, number one. Um, it was, but number two, it was the D3 experience that really did it for me. I had the flexibility of having a coach that I could talk to. I had the flexibility of saying, hey, you know, those two, you know, morning practice, I'm going to have to miss it. I have an 8 a.m. exam. I really need to finish this. There was a little bit more flexibility in that. The competitive level was, you know, obviously not at the D1 level, but it was still just as competitive in terms of our own conference. Um, a lot of my teammates have 
I've been in their weddings, they've been in mine, it's been a sisterhood. So I think that there's value in if sports are your thing, teams are your thing, to carry it on and really ask questions when you're talking to the coaches. What you will find is it's a little bit easier depending on the sport to connect with D2, D3 coaches and get scouted. So again, the idea of what do you want out of this? Do you just want to say you play for a team or do you want to really be on the field playing and be a part of the team and actually get a little bit more out of what you, you put into it? So I think that's the other piece. Also D1 level, you know, you're going to have a lot of really good talent, um, which there's nothing wrong with that. But if you're somebody that wants to play starting freshman year, it may be better to look at a program that's smaller or that may be at the D3, D2 level. Um, there's also some other conferences out there, USNA. Um, so talk to your counselors because there's plenty of opportunities. And then every school will probably have club sports. So if you're somebody that you don't know if you want to play at the competitive level, but you still want to have it in your life, that is a great way to still have a sport in your life. Well, those are great pieces of advice. This whole conversation has truly been tremendous. Thank you so much, Rosemary. And it leads us to our last question of the day. What are your top three pieces of advice that you would give students and their parents getting ready for the college admissions process? Okay. So you'll appreciate this, John. My first one is actually from <laughs> Jay Wright, which is the head basketball coach for Villanova. Um, and I was there for a counselor visit a few years ago, and he said something that really stuck, I think, with all the counselors. And it was something he said to his players, and that was, comparison is the thief of joy. And that really resonated with me because I think too often students are comparing themselves um, and they forget how unique they are, especially this generation of students that we're seeing right now go through the process, go through high school. Think about it. You guys just went through a pandemic. We're not even out of the pandemic. Um, but the resilience a lot of you showed, the challenges you were faced with, regardless if you had an immediate challenge of mom or dad, you know, losing a job or something like that, you were probably challenged just by sitting behind a screen. So I think that Students oftentimes compare themselves. They see other students online, the social media. They hear them say, oh, I've gotten into these five schools, and they forget to worry about themselves. And I think a lot, a lot of adults can learn from this, too, um, because when you're starting to think about what everybody else is doing, you forget to think about your own talent, your own abilities, and what you've accomplished. You've already accomplished enough with applying to schools, looking at schools. So give yourself a pat on the back. Do a reset. And if you find yourself comparing yourself like, oh, Olivia did this, this, and this, I'm never going to get in. Pull yourself back and say, you know what? Why am I worried about what Olivia is doing? Like, let me worry about Rosemary because you know what? I'm not going to accomplish anything. I'm going to waste a lot of time being anxious thinking about somebody else. So that's number one. I think that, you know, in terms of comparison, the other piece is how we are communicating, parents especially, um, and students. Um, but... I think we have to remember that everybody needs to stay in their own lane. Um, you know, your student may think their top choice is X, Y, and Z, but that may be, you know, somebody not even on somebody's radar. Shenandoah University, you guys may have never even heard of it, um, but that might be, you know, that could have been my top choice uh, at the time. And just imagine when, you know, you may be talking about your student's safety school and it just so happens to be Shenandoah. The, the connotation behind that tells me it's disparaging. Um, and you may not mean that, but I think that parents are also really hard on themselves through this. Allow your student to be themselves and to be independent, truly independent in their thought process. Don't influence them. I, I remember always being shocked, and maybe this is because I'm first generation, don't know, you know, 
many, many traditions, but, you know, the students that would come to me and say, I want a school in the South, I want X, Y, and Z, and I'd say, oh, Auburn. Oh, no, 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 no. My dad went to UGA. We could never do that. He'll kill me. And it's like, (laughs) well, like, let's talk about that, you know? So I think parents also need to lead with what's best for my student and what's going to make them happy. Because at the end of the day, I think we all want to see them succeed. And we all have the end goal of seeing them have the opportunity for that next step after graduation. Um, So those are two. And then enjoy the process and don't, don't let the process overrun you. It's really, really important to do this well and put your best foot forward and to have a timeline. But it's also important to have fun. I think that students this is their first time getting a decision and really reflecting on themselves and peeling back the layers to who they are. It's a lot to ask of young adults. It is a lot. And I I think it's funny that we're coming out of a pandemic where some of us are still behind a screen um, or working from home or want to have a limited schedule, but we're asking students to still stay on track with activities and doing X, Y, and Z. Just remember enjoy the process. It is what it is at some point. There will be an institution. There will be a path. Use your village. Use your resources. But remember, you are special in your own way. And everybody has a path, regardless if we find it today, tomorrow, next year. Maybe it's that gap year you need. Express yourself. Find your path. Allow your students to be independent and influence their decisions, but definitely allow them the space to also have their own mindset and their own opportunity to be their first step into adulthood. Well, Rosemary, this has been a special conversation. Thanks to your experience, your insight, your willingness to work with us today and share everything that you did. I cannot thank you enough. And I'm so happy because I know that this conversation is going to help so many students and their parents navigate the college admissions process. I hope to have you again. Thank you so much for being with us, Rosemary. Thank you so much, John, and go Terps! Thank you for joining us on this episode of The Cap, the College Admissions Process Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, please don't forget to tell a friend and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and wherever you listen to your podcasts. I am your host, John Durante, and I look forward to seeing you on the next episode of The Cap. What's up, podcast friends? I'm happy to announce that we've teamed up with some fantastic affiliate partners to further enhance your overall college journey. So do you or someone you know need stylish dorm decor, trendy college apparel, or top-notch test prep? Whether it's creating a cozy home away from home, flaunting the latest in college apparel, or securing top-notch test prep help, we've got you covered. Check out our affiliate links in the show notes within each of these categories, which we believe will help you, our listeners. Please note that if you make a purchase through any of our affiliate links, the podcast does get a small commission, but rest assured that we would only promote products that we believe in and feel would benefit you, our listeners. So check out the links in the show notes and share with anyone you think may benefit. Thank you all and best wishes.